Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, one, two, one, two, waiting for Kali. All right, here we go. Well, hello. How are you? Woo! I've lost, I'm good, I've just lost my notes. Feck! Hang on. <laughs> After all that. So tell me, Collie, are you wearing budgie smugglers? No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) What an opening. Brilliant. Straight in. I've been waiting for years to use that as an opening. Exactly, yeah. I've been waiting for years. Yeah, Jesus, yeah. Because we are going to be talking about budgies. Yeah, our Australian pals. Yeah, because like I think um, that's a shock to a lot of people. I, I think they don't realise where budgies come from. Yeah. Uh, I think we're so familiar. They're one of those animals. I think alongside goldfish, um, they're one of the most popular animals to to have in a household on the face of the planet, which is which is pretty awesome to think about for a humble little wild boar from the outback. But like I mean, it's one of those creatures as well that. I grew up with budgies. Every one of my grandparents had them. All the old ones on the road had them. Really? I mean, it was such a common thing. I mean, if you look at most, even, you know, autobiography movies. I think I was watching one about Elton John the other day. And they had a budgie in the house. And yeah. Queen, the Freddie Mercury biography, they had a budgie in that as well. It's kind of like one of those things. It's just yeah. associated with, with households. You know, yeah, and, and your grannies and stuff. Your granny and your and older auntie. older people and single people and all that stuff. You know, you have a budgie. But I think like the goldfish as well, as well as being one of the most popular pets, they're probably one of the most misunderstood. Yeah, and especially when it comes to um, to ethics of keeping them and the correct way of keeping yeah. an animal like that. But first of all, that whole Australian thing, like they're Australian. Yeah, so in the outback, so Australia obviously it's massive. It's a vast, vast, you know, continent, and you know it's not an easy place to, to air out in existence. So budgies, very, very small little birds. They're a small member of the parrot family, and they have to basically find food and water in the deserts and the open grasslands of of uh, the outback of Australia. So that makes them highly nomadic species so they have to be on the wing literally all the time like flying around and what they're basically looking for is water and 
uh, food which is primarily grass seed for them right so that's what they're out looking for that's what they're trying to get um, the way they live make make them opportunistic breeders so they don't have a breeding season they breed whenever there's enough food and water to oh keep them going yeah and they have a really interesting kind of a system of of breeding as well so they'll pair up and they'll find a little they like um, holes in trees like a burrow and a branch almost and they'll pair up and mate and then female will find a a nice spot with the male to, to lay her eggs and she'll lay a couple of eggs which they'll incubate and hatch but as those chicks are growing they'll actually lay an extra couple of eggs and then maybe a couple more if times are good so they'll have different generations of chicks within the same nest that they feed up as they're moving along and it's kind of an insurance policy yeah but it's it's a very clever way of you know raising a lot of chicks fast to keep the population up and getting them out and that also means that they can have a chick that they're feeding crop crop milk uh, chewed up crop uh, food which basically is like a paste that the, the parents will regurgitate for them and then they have yeah other ones that they can actually feed just pure seed that they've collected so that means they can have like the seed stored in, in one part of their mouth for the uh, for the older chicks and then the chewed up kind of paste that they make for the younger ones so they can they can really it's oh, a really wow. efficient system and uh, yeah I, I thought that was really interesting when i heard it and then when they hit on the wing the only thing that's really after them is other birds of prey yeah once they get out of that nest because in the nest they're vulnerable obviously to lots of snakes my pals will be in there munching them but once they get on the wing they're really just targeted by you know the ridge tails and the the small uh, raptor species that are out there and their main defense then against them is these spectacular like up to a million boards can be in these wow massive mobs they're called of these budgies and it's like a huge flocks yeah what we'd see with the murmurations of starlings very similar and they just all fly in mad directions to try and distract predators and they'll take off 40 40 kilometers an hour they can actually hit which is pretty impressive for a small little board like that and wow here's another good thing basically budgies have two speeds go fast and go slightly slower than fast and it was only discovered by uh, scientists in the university of queensland so they really don't have like a variation in speeds like subtle gear changes they only have these two gears where they're just (laughs) bolting along and it's, it's probably due to this kind of flock uh, society that they've come up with this mob budgie mob society that keeps them on the wing keeps them moving so fast and living this high speed and and pretty cool kind of lifestyle for a board life in the fast lane yeah and incredibly and here's another thing i mean like they're incredibly social boards are constantly chattering and you know i have two budgies in my kitchen and you know, and they sound beautiful, don't they? To us, like the, the murmurations that they make to each other, the murmurings, they're beautiful. They're sort of really comforting as well, aren't they? They're- yeah, and again, incredibly sociable board. And like the noises that they make are, are quite soothing. But also, I just noticed that they're very similar to, I don't know if you ever heard R2-D2 off Star Wars. They have that kind of, yeah. sometimes they go, and it's, yeah. I, I often wonder was, <laughs> uh, was a budgie involved in the inspiration for the sounds there. Might well have been. Sound designers get their inspiration from everywhere. Yeah, you can compare, compare yeah. it there 
roll some sounds there, you know, in the background for comparison. Oh, <laughs> QR2D2. Yeah. My two budgies, Bonnie and Clyde. But come here to me, talk to me about colour because um, of course the ones that we see they're all mad colours but they're not those mad colours in the wild, sure they're not? No, they're quite a, quite a dull green and a, a black, that's like a universal colour with them, there's no fancy paint jobs in them in the wild. Yeah. So it's basically the same as dogs or cats and a lot of the pets we have domesticated that we've basically taken them in and bred them to our liking. It's crazy to think you can get such variation because, I mean, you literally can get nearly every colour under the sun in budgies now. It's, they're so varied. But if you compare the, the captive show budgies, that they actually do have shows like dog shows for them. Wow. If you compare one of the, one, one of the budgies in, in the cages there to a wild board, they're nearly twice the size. They've been bred oh, like, really? not only for colours, but like actually like bigger and the feathers are more pronounced. Um, wow! You know, budgie fanci fanciers will uh, will breed them in these, you know, to make them extreme versions of the, of their wild cousins. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 very interesting. Like I would have thought that you know a budgie is a budgie, but yeah, obviously it's it's quite similar to yeah, you know, a a, a wolf can be bred into a, a chihuahua or or a, a, an Irish wolfhound. You know, so it's yeah, you know, it's crazy to see. What you can actually stretch out with these animals when you put them under pressure from human demands on their uh, you know for aesthetic demands i suppose is the best word to use for budgies yeah so we just mess around with, with breeding and, and see what we come up with yeah yeah it's crazy so how did we get them um but, well they've been kept around for years i don't know how we ended up with them i know it was the the brits were the big uh keepers of the of budgies as pets but you know boards have been kept for you know as long as people you know have been settled and like songboards were constantly kept as pets by the romans you know the, the the french kept boards the chinese were big into keeping pet boards so i think when people colonized places like australia europeans colonized australia they looked at these incredible parrots because australia is a land of parrots you've got so many different species down there it's unbelievable and then when you find a hardy little board like a, a budgie that breeds readily it's almost as if it was handmade to be you know domesticated and and uh, a companion for people as pets exploited yeah exactly Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I was doing a bit of reading around and I found out that um, they, the first pair, whoops, my notes. It's windy. I'm sitting out by the lake again. I'm sitting down in Dublin Zoo oh, hey. by the primates and I'm watching all the ducks. And I know what the ducks are up to now because I listened to our last episode. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, so I was doing a bit of reading about the budgies and um, apparently the first pair was brought to England in, um, I think it was 1840, certainly the 1840s. And Queen Victoria was given a pair in 1845 and from the time that the first pair was introduced around 1840 and by the time they became everywhere everybody wanted these birds it was only about 20 years that's mental it's incredible and i came across this lovely story of um an experience that somebody had with the enormity and the huge numbers of these birds that were being imported you know captured from the wild and imported into England because as we all know the trade in wildlife in the 1800s was pretty big right mm -hmm. there's a lot of animals being captured from the wild and, and brought to different places and very often like if you go down to the dead zoo the natural history museum in Dublin the animals that they have there stuffed a lot of them are from uh, the 1900s and early 20th century and they would have been essentially shot on demand you know we want this specimen and we want that specimen and people would go out and collect animals so there's an awful lot of animal collecting going on but apparently the numbers of the birds that were coming in were phenomenal so one of the stories that captured my imagination was about a guy who encountered large numbers of these birds being brought into london in 1861 so through the power of radio and through the power of audio ah. i'm going to take you back in time i'm going to release you from your coronavirus self-isolation <laughs> and we're going to go back in time to London of 1861. And we land in the Docklands. So this story of mine involves a couple of characters. And the main character is a German guy. And his name was Johann Christian Karl Jamrach. He eventually became an English citizen and called himself Charles Jamrock. I think Jamrock is what he called himself. We call him Charles anyway. He came to London in 1845 and he set up shop down near the Docklands. He ended up having this monopoly in wild animal trade because whenever the ships came in, 
Sailors would have collected lots of different animals along the way, birds and all other species. And he got into the habit of rushing down to the ships and buying up whatever the sailors had to sell. He also had agents in other ports around England and the continent, so he was really well known for selling animals. In 1861, a man who was attached to the London Zoological Gardens that was opened in 1828, just a couple of years before this Dublin Zoo was opened, which was opened in 1831. And a man called Buckland, who was associated with the zoo, he got a note from Charles Jamrock to say, I have something really interesting and I think you should come down to my building. So he did. He went into the office. Jamrock brought him upstairs to the first floor and Buckland wrote down what he experienced as he was approaching a door on top of this landing. So when they got to the doorway, he said he had barely even touched the door when he could feel almost vibrating coming from the room. And he said to himself, it sounded like the beating of a very heavy storm of rain upon the glass of a greenhouse. And then they went inside. And I think he must have almost fainted because what he saw, and he says himself, was one mass of Australian grass parakeets because that's what they are. They're grass parakeets, essentially. Common name, yeah, that's right. And um, when he walked into the room, he said, all the birds flew up into a dense cloud flying about the room just like a cloud of gnats on a hot summer's evening. Their wings causing a rush of air like the wind from a winnowing machine. He's such an erudite speaker. It's unbelievable, isn't he? He really paints a picture with his words. Oh, it's just beautiful, beautiful. He wanted to know, obviously, how many birds are in there. And the guy told him, oh, I have 3,000 pairs. He had 6,000 birds in two small rooms in his buildings. Holy cow. And apparently, even with 3,000 breeding pairs, he had no problem getting rid of them. Like they were sold in, in units of 100 or 1,000. So that's how fast it went. So it went from one pair in 1840 to practically everybody having budgies 20 years later. That is amazing. Yeah, and I think at some point, the Australians had to actually put a, um, put a stop to uh, to the export of the live animals because they're just decimating populations. I mean, yeah, there were big populations of them there, but if you're having that amount of numbers of birds being sold at a time, I mean, that just, that'll just kill it, you know? So we've talked about it from the human side and how fascinated we are by that, but what about from the animal side? So how should we actually be keeping budgies at home? Yeah, so uh, my good pal Shauna from Shauna's Pets, um, I, I straight up didn't have a clue about budgies up until a few months ago when I picked up a, a pair um, from Shauna, but um, she, she runs a very reptile pet shop in, in Dublin city centre and is all about ethics. So... Um, she was saying to me that they have to be kept in pairs and they have to be kept in a big cage. And then, of course, all the standard, always food and water there and, you know, keep them clean. But that's how hardy they are. That's a, a nice, simple <laughs> explanation of it. The thing that we used to do 
back when I was a kid and my granny would have kept them. It was always a lone budgie, uh, unfortunately, in a cage. and, and With a mirror. With a mirror and, and tapping the mirror all day trying to get a response out because as this incredibly, incredibly sociable um, bird, which was, you know, evolved to live in flocks and chitter chatter all day with its its peers and its its uh, the rest of its species, to put it in a cage and have it live out its life there seems like a terrible lonely existence and a bit of a yeah. a nightmare for the animals. Well, so I think a lot of us are are getting into that mindset now of how it might be when we keep animals by themselves. So I mean, I have I have any number of acquaintances and family members who are stuck by themselves in quarantine and they're starting to go crazy yeah, because it's actually um, a really good, they're lonely and we're social animals. It's a really good social experiment to show people that it's not a good idea to be uh, <laughs> to be locked in a cage on your own. Even with your own family, it's kind of difficult. But, uh, yeah, That can be worse. Or to have a dog at home for 10 hours. I know, again, people who have big dogs at home in small houses and they go out to work at 8 o'clock in the morning, they come home at 6 and the dog's been alone all day and they think it's fine. But it's, it's really not. And we're only finding that out now. But I have to say, I do feel... I still feel bad for budgies. Now, I know you have a pair, but I do feel bad for budgies stuck in cages. Um, mm. And if there's an opportunity for them to come out, I would feel better about that because obviously they're, they were built to fly. They need to fly and they need, yeah. they need a lot of enrichment. They need enrichment. And, and the fortunate thing about budgies are if you put a bit of work in with them, like any animal. So I've been working with, with these two that I have for the last while just to try and get them you know, comfortable with me and give them a little bit more breathing space. And it starts off with hand feed and I present food on my hand to them and they get, they realize that I'm not a bad guy and they'll eat off my hand. <laughs> and now they're coming out of the cage and sitting on my shoulder Aww. to come and feed off the, the hand. And then they'll, they'll fly around the kitchen. Now it can be a bit of a pain getting them back into the cage, but they're still having a bit of exercise. Yeah. And slowly over years, because my, uh, my grandfather kept a, a, a budgie on its own, but he had a marvellous relationship with the board, Dan. It lived for many, many years and literally would sit on his shoulder like a like a, a pirate's parrot, you know. So, uh, oh, wow. yeah, it was really good. And it's just if you, if you you know, they're so intelligent. They're very intelligent little boards and great mimics of voices mm. as well. Some laws were brought into Switzerland uh, a few years back to do with pets and animal welfare and one of the laws was you cannot have certain species by themselves well wow. so things like budgies and other other parrots you cannot have them by themselves um which i think is very enlightened so Kali, i have one more request okay why don't you take us into your kitchen and introduce us to your budgies okay at my two budgies, Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie is bright yellow with two little dots on the side of her face. And Clyde is a lovely greenish blue with a yellow head and again, two little dots on the uh, side of the head. Really distinctive, very pretty little boards. Now, a bit of feed, a bit of seed there for your pals, some fresh water. Now, enjoy. 
The Critter Shed is part of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts. As is my podcast, Petrified. You'll find more great shows at thewarren.ie.